Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, talking money and investing. We talk about the news of the day in the investing world. We talk about just, a lot of times I like to talk about things that are questions people are asking. And sometimes you get in conversations with people in the course of the week and it, it raises a question that you might have. You know, some of the things, the situations that they have and things that I look at. When I'm looking at an investment portfolio, so question came up about income from an investment portfolio. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that and just uh, take a few seconds and talk about that one. Uh, So when we take income from your investment portfolio, let's say that you're wanting to set this up. And and I I always tell people, you don't have to memorize this stuff. Uh, This is something that you know, from the advisor standpoint, the advisor should be doing this. I say should be doing it. Almost never see it happen in the regular world. When I was a broker working for an investment firm, never did it this way. Never did it this way. It was only when, you know, introduced academic investing principles that all of a sudden this was introduced and it made so much sense to me. Remember Jonathan, actually, one of the guys that one of the guy runs our Gallatin office. Jonathan talking about when he worked for one of the big banks and he said, well, you have four mutual funds and you take one fourth of your money from each of the four funds that you own. And, you know, I was like, no, that's kind of silly. You don't want to do that. It really depends on which one of the funds has done better is the way I like to approach this because you think about it. What do we want to do? What's the golden rule of investing? Buy when prices are low, sell high. And you want to pull some pull money from that thing that has just done well. So it's going to be relatively high compared to everything else. So taking it equally would mean that if some of the other areas are down, because when you're investing, you're diversifying, you're putting things together that don't move with each other. You know, if one goes up and the other one may be just doing not much of anything, or maybe one area may be going down. And that'll commonly happen, let's say, where you have stocks are just rocking and they're doing really, really well, and bonds may be just doing nothing, meandering, or your fixed income portion of your portfolio. And stocks may be, you know, you'll have years, single years, where an asset class like small U.S. stocks or small international, there are years, single years, where you'll see a 70% return. I mean, a big return in one year. So what will happen is that creates an over-representation of that asset category relative to everything else. Now, there's some years it might be up you know, 10%, more modest amounts, but you know, that's rare that it's you know, 10%. Uh, it's usually you know, up 30, up 25, you know, down 15, it's, it's you know, back and forth. You go, gosh, that, that's so unnerving. Well, uh, if we look at something that always goes up, uh, expect maybe three. <laughs> and you look at treasury bills going back through history and the rate of return is about three. The inflation rate is about three. So your rate of return after inflation is zero. What's more unnerving, <laughs> having an investment portfolio that has no real return, which is an inflation adjusted return, or having an investment portfolio that fluctuates in value, but you got a lot of different things and, and some of them move up and while others are moving down and then the others are moving down. And when you, de- when you design it, 
uh, you're looking for things that, you know, during no matter what happens, there's going to be something in your portfolio that is holding value. And you'll have a year, maybe stocks and bonds move together. And when they move together, you know, it'd be cash that's holding. And if they're moving downward together, like last year would be a good example of that. Now, some asset categories went way down, like large U.S. stocks went way down last year, whereas value, small value companies, just a little bit down comparatively, like down you know, for small values, like down 3%. That was it. Uh, but, you know, you might have bonds that go down because interest rates going up drives bond prices down. And then when that happens, cash may be your only friend in the portfolio. So you want to have something that is holding value no matter what happens. Now, when I'm taking that income, like I said, this isn't something you memorize, but this is, should be, you know, this, there's the work that there's work that goes into this to doing this. Because you may be looking at asset categories on a daily basis and looking at what did better than the other on a relative in, in any given day. You know, so what you're doing is you're cash flowing out of the thing if you're taking income, the thing that had done better. So it's taking up more of your portfolio. It's overrepresented because it did better relatively. And you know, trees don't grow to heaven. Just because it did well yesterday or over the last week or over the last month doesn't mean that it's going to do well over the next day, week, or month, or year, or whatever. So when you're taking that income, you just basically go, you know, I don't know what's going to do best next. I don't know. I have no way of knowing whether a large, because, you know, if I knew, I probably wouldn't tell you. <laughs> It'd be one thing. I would, I would you know, as, as a, a, you know, People are going to try to keep that information themselves, right? Because you can profit more if you have information that nobody else knows, and then you can go and make moves and, and transit. And by the way, that's a lot of times what happens is, is people will act like they know something and nobody else does, does. And what they'll do is they'll try to convince you to do what they did yesterday. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you have ever received these faxes, you know, back when people actually got faxes and, you know, saying you need to buy X stock. This stock is going to go through the roof and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you, you read why you ought to buy X stock. And what you don't know is that the person telling you to buy X stock probably bought it the day before. And it's a thinly traded company. In other words, there are not a lot of shares traded on a daily basis. So if they can get you to buy it the day after they bought it, just the sheer volume that they create and the demand for the stock that they create can drive the price up so that they can sell it into an upward moving market. You know, so that's one of the games that, that is played. But, you know, the reality of it is nobody knows where things are going to go. So hence what we do is when something has done well, what we do is we say, well, it's supposed to take up 5% of my portfolio and it's taking up seven. It's supposed to take up five. It's at seven. It's over where it's supposed to be. Let's just take our income from there because I don't know, you know, tomorrow if it's going to do the same, but, and I'm not doing it because I am, am predicting that it's going to drop in value. I'm doing it because the risk of my portfolio has changed when I am getting more concentration in one segment of the market. Like if I'm only supposed to have 5% of my money 
in large U.S. stocks, and now I've got 10% because of a run-up in that area of the market. Now, number one, yes, relatively the price is higher than it used to be, right? But now here's the issue. The issue is that now that I have 10% of my money there, if it does drop in value, it has a bigger impact on me in a negative way than if it were only taking up 5% of my portfolio, which is what it should have been doing. Because the asset mix was chosen based on it, you know, it not being any more than that, so that if it does go down in value, I'm not that negatively affected by it. That's why we diversify in the first place. You know, if I put a whole bunch of money in any particular company, that company goes down in value, that's that can put me in a world of hurting. So what I do is I I mix it around. I spread it, I cast my bread upon the water to quote Solomon, and, I ca and then what I do is spread it out so that if anything goes wrong with any one of those companies or any of those market areas, it's not the end of the world. Now, it does become in the end of the world if I end up overly concentrated. And I had one meeting with a, with a client this week, and you know, I've been working with these people. Uh, first work with them, never really did any work with them 20, probably 20 years ago. And uh, what ended up happening is, you know, we, retirement takes place and, you know, you go, hey, okay, Paul, now it's time. Let's, you know, let's come out. And that's where a lot of times people make changes is when they have a big life change. And that's when they tend to call up and say, okay, now it's time. Let's do something. And uh, when I was looking at the portfolio, I said, well, you got 91% of your money in one asset category, large U.S. stocks. Uh, and they're like, oh my goodness, yeah. And you know, you don't really have really good diversification. So we want to make sure that we get this spread out a lot better because that area of the market, and we started talking about that particular area of the market, normally sells for about 16 times earnings. And now it's selling for over 20 times earnings. And there are other market segments selling for like 12 and seven times earnings. So, you know, I'm not predicting that large US stocks, which is the most commonly held area of the market for American investors, it's going to come crashing down. But I'm not, I'm also not going to take the bet that it's going to continue to go up in value either. And that would be uh, not, a, not a good idea. So when we're taking income, that's what we're doing is we're looking around at relative valuations and relative uh, what they, what these things are, how they're represented in the portfolio and what percentage of the portfolio and then spreading between these various areas. Now, that's one thing. The other thing that I pointed out in this particular instance that I think is helpful for people to know is I'm also looking at the funds that are capturing the asset categories. Now, I said large U.S. stocks. Uh, you might have small U.S. stocks in your portfolio as well. You know, because I, I, I know that large U.S. stocks, historically, the rate of return going back to the 1920s, about 10%. Small U.S., about 12 you know, so if I look at the year-to-year -year returns, it's never that, though. You know, it's never 10, 10, 10, or hardly ever even 10, period. It may be up 25, down 6, you know, down up, up 15, you know, down 3 or up 4 or whatever. So what I'm looking at is the return of the fund. I, I can take that return. I can take that long-term return. And then what I do is I subtract from that, and this is how you analyze. It's called a sharp ratio. Is, is, and what you're doing is you're looking at return minus the risk-free rate. You know, what's the rate of return of fixed income investments that are have no risk whatsoever, like government bonds, like treasury bills or something like that would be risk-free. 
So that gives me my return premium above something that is like super, super low risk. You know, that is my extra return. And that's why we invest in stock in the stock market historically is, is, you know, so the reason we do that is because we want to have something because remember treasury bills after inflation, you got zero return. So I want to have something that helps me make sure that I don't run myself dry of money. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to run out of money. And they, they, they go for safety all the way through. And they're like, I just want safety, safety, safety. And I go, well, do you realize you're taking a huge amount of risk? You just don't perceive it because your investments are basically fixed income. And historically, the rate of return after inflation is zero. So you're taking a tremendous risk that because of inflation, you could run yourself into the ground from a standard of living standpoint. Your standard of living could drop significantly because your investments aren't keeping up with the cost that your standard of living is rising by. And we know that as what? Inflation, right? So when, when we do this with an investment portfolio, when we're looking at making uh, adjustments and, and holding both of these things, we have the stocks and, and historically we're going to use different types of asset categories, large and small and so on and so forth. And then we're going to diversify across those. And that's what's protecting us. And we look at where we've gotten protection against inflation, which is prices going up, who's raising prices, companies, who do you own when you own stocks, you own the companies that raise prices and you get that protection against inflation. And then on the other hand, you get the protection against the market fluctuations with your fixed income and your bonds. You know, so that's the idea behind it. Now, when I look at, let's say, large U.S. stocks, what I want to look at now is I want to look at that return above the risk-free rate. Remember, I've got, you know, my historic return of stocks minus something that has no risk, bonds. So let's say that that return for large U.S. stocks, it's historically 10, right? And then we say, okay, what's the risk for, what's the return for treasury bills historically? Let's say three, okay? So we say 10 minus three is seven. So that's my premium, my risk premium for stocks is what we call that. Now we divide that by the standard deviation, the risk, how much up and down, how much volatility might you see as an investor? And then what we can do is, and you know, one of the things we can look at is, you know, alpha. Uh, and we say, well, you know, what's the alpha? And this is typically how I'll teach this. Now, investment, you'll hear people call themselves alpha investors. And what they're saying is that we're going to try to use our great skill to get returns above the market or get higher returns. But it's not just returns above the market. It's also returns above the market on a risk-adjusted basis. Because remember, we're talking about return and risk in this little equation that I'm telling you about. And what we're doing is we're hoping we can get more return for the level of risk. Uh, and you might hear people say, oh, you know, how about how we'd love to have stock market returns with treasury bill risk. And in the academic world, there's a joke. I said, that's what people want. I want stock market returns with treasury bill risk. And you know what investors end up getting? treasury bill returns with stock market risk they get you know because they they mess up and then they end up selling at the wrong time or buying at the wrong time and they take all of this risk and then they end up lowering their returns because of bad decision making you know so 
what we're looking for when you hear alpha is I want to be able to use my skill to get higher returns without the risk. And what we know about that, you've heard me a million times, if you heard me at all here on the show, say that professional managers get lower returns in the market most of the time. You know, I've, I've quoted the, the returns. You know, if you look at the 15-year returns, it's like 93% of professional managers are beaten by what the market does. You see people throwing darts at the stock tables, being the professional. So I've beaten that into the ground. I'm not going to talk about that right now. But you, we know that that is just, you look at that and go, you're, you're gambling when you try to do that. But I will use that concept, alpha, when I'm talking to people about their 401ks. And I will take their funds and I'll go, hey, let's take a look at the alpha on the funds in your 401k. And then I'll look and go, oh, and, and this is, there are a couple of them I had this week. You know, I was, uh, one person came and we were looking at funds and, and we just pulled up just three funds out of it, just out of the portfolio. And I said, this fund had an alpha of negative seven. And meaning that the returns should have been 7% higher based on the risk that they took. And they were like going, ooh. Now, it didn't mean that the fund had a bad return. It had a decent return. It return was okay, but the risk was so much higher. You took risk to get the same return you could have gotten for a fraction of the risk. And why is that important? It is so important because if you're taking income from your portfolio and that portfolio is going up and down more than it should, when it goes down, you're having to sell more shares to get the same level of income and you can end up with a drastically different result when you do that because i have to sell more shares and then you sold those shares when the market was down or when the portfolio was in that downward risk pattern and then when the market comes back you're you don't own them you're not there so therefore you can't recover and that's the problem with this it's a significant problem. So we did that and another fund had an alpha of like negative five or negative six or something like that. Now one was like negative one, so it wasn't a big deal, wasn't really bad, but it was still bad. It was still negative. And I said, no, here's what we're looking for. Now different asset categories, I might be looking for different alphas, but you know, I might like large US stocks, if, I'm, if I have an S&P 500 fund, let's say a fund that is tracking that area of the market, the alpha may be negative point three or something like that or, or negative point uh, zero three or something like that and it's because of the management fee that you're going to have a return that's slightly less than it should have been based on the risk taken but you can't invest directly in the index you have to have a fund that replicates the index now in other areas you can actually have positive alphas just because of the way the portfolio is managed and you know what we're doing is you know you're looking at it versus the asset class so too complicated for here but the the point i want you to get is you do not want to take risk you are not getting paid to take if you can avoid that as much as you possibly can that's what you want to do and that is something that most people aren't even aware of they don't even know that it exists or don't even understand how it works and i see statistics used all the time uh you know that people they don't even know what they're talking about when they talk about it and then, well, you know, I got this portfolio with a beta of, you know, and they're like, well, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so in essence, when, when you get to income time, my bottom line, 
is this is when you really have to start to focus as an investor on risk and how to take an income because if you are dealing with a portfolio with more volatility than it should have it can sink you because of that sales of assets when markets are down effect that i was talking about all right so you're listening to the investor coaching show i'm paul winkler take a quick break and be right back after this thanks for tuning in to the investor coaching podcast now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. So I was just talking a little bit about risk measures and things like that. When we look at it, you know, when you're when you're looking at some of these risk measures, and I guess it probably makes sense to explain how you measure risk just really quickly here. We look at standard deviation. That's the best thing that we've got. You know, it's it's um there are a few other measures that are being talked about in the academic world, but nothing really has caught on like standard deviation. You know, just simply because uh, when we look at a portfolio, some, some of the risk measures out there are really dependent upon, oh, let's use beta, for example. Let's just talk about that. So if I have a beta of 1.2 of a particular stock fund, let's say, and you go, what is that? Well, let's say if the market is has a 10% return, I would look at that and say, well, the return of the fund ought to be 12, 12%. So it's, it's simply 10 times 1.2. Uh, so it's 12, 12% return. And then, you know, if the market goes, so if the go, market goes up, it goes up 20% more than the market. If the market goes down, it goes down 20% more. So that would be a measure of risk. Well, sometimes what can get confusing in all of that is what if the additional return was gotten through just sheer luck and just the luck of the draw and that the fund actually had higher returns than the market during periods of time just because it got lucky and it, you know, it, it timed the market better than, you know, let's say uh, it's been their peers or just got a decent return versus the index due to just Sure, just getting lucky and in, in picking better companies than what were in, what the index return was. You know, so let's say that they picked companies, and maybe they weren't in a couple companies that had a bad return in the index. Let's say. Now again, going back and saying, well, why did the return come in better than the index? And you know, Gene Fama, you know, he's a University of Chicago guy that won the Nobel Prize for Economics. He would say. Well, you know, you can get lucky. You can do that. Now, there, is there any possibility for skill in the investing process where you get a higher return than the market? And he would tell you, yeah, there could be. And he says, but, you know, in order to 
determine whether the additional return was due to skill or luck, it takes like 60 years. <laughs> and you go, well, after 60 years, you know, either I'm dead or retired <laughs> or, you know, it's just too late or the fund manager isn't retired, right? So we find out, oh, the fund manager definitely had a better return than the market and it was due to skill. Let me put their, my money with that person because they're apparently skilled and they're going, sorry, I'm retired. <laughs> that doesn't do you any good. So, and that, that's with, you know, with a T, T statistic of at least two. So, you know, it has to be statistically significant whether we know whether it was due to skill or luck. You know, so in effect, what we're looking for is when we're looking at beta, we're saying, well, was the return... You know, where did it come from with additional risk? So that's not a great measure of risk. Now, what we do is we look at the level of volatility of an asset category, and we look at historical as much data as we possibly can. You know, so I'm not digging, going and looking at three years of data to determine standard deviation or 10 years of data or even 20 years of data. That's way, way too short. I want a hundred years. <laughs> if I can get it, I want, you know, I want a lot as much data as I can possibly get and use that to determine what's the likely volatility of this asset category. How much does the return uh, change from year to year or how big of a swing might I expect? And this is, uh, how do I know how much risk I'm taking? Well, I know because if I know the standard deviation of my portfolio, uh, I can tell you how much it might vary from the expected return. So if the expected return is eight, let's say, and the standard deviation is 10, I can say, well, you know, two out of every three years, my return is gonna be somewhere in the range of eight plus 10, 18, or eight minus 10 minus two. So, you know, 68% of the time, my returns are going to fall between, I said two thirds, but it's technically 68. It's going to fall between those two numbers, negative two and positive 18. So that's gonna be a range. Now, 95% of the returns, it's gonna be 28 and negative 12. You know, so that's, that's just a definitional thing on standard deviation. It's just how we define risk, okay? And you know, if I know that, I know what that range is, then what I can do is I can go, oh, okay, yeah, it was down 15, but that's not out of expectations. That, that was within expectations. And I can breathe easy knowing that something weird didn't happen that no one could have expected or no one, you know, not that something weird can't happen that nobody expects, but that's how I judge whether the portfolio is operating within expectations. And what that does is it helps me not to worry a whole lot about that, you see? You know, so that is why that is so key to have a measurement of risk. Now, what I can do with that measurement of risk is I can determine, can I take an income from this portfolio? Is this portfolio designed to take an income or is it something that I really have to you know, keep myself up, up, up at night because I've got a portfolio that is not designed to deliver income very well? So remember, if I go all fixed, you know, yeah, I don't have any risk. I have a very low standard deviation, but I have no return either. <laughs> and after inflation, I'm basically going backwards, backwards, backwards. So that is why this is all so important. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. 
You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.